The Apostle Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. What was written was written for our learning. I sometimes hear people say, and, and uh, it's a mistake, uh, a mistaken notion, but I've heard people say, well, why do we talk about the Old Testament? That's not for us today. Well, actually it is for us today. That's why it was written. It was written for our learning, that we can, can uh, learn from the, the examples that went before us and uh, help us to do better in following Jesus. I think sometimes we have missed the big picture uh, with certain stories, certain books in the Bible. And Jonah may be one of those books that we've just kind of missed things. If I were to say the book of Jonah, what comes to mind? Probably the first thing that most everyone would say is the great fish. Jonah got swallowed by a whale. You know, and that's, that's the storyline. That's the big thing. Because it is. It's incredible. And it's a story that we tell our children. It thrills them. And, and they sit on the edge of their seat as they learn these Bible stories in the Old Testament. But that's not what the book is about. That's an event that took place in the book. But the book is not about Jonah getting swallowed by a whale. The book of Jonah is about not a great fish, but a great God. God loves his creation, and wants all men to come to repentance. And in spite of man's sin and sinfulness, God still loves him and wants him to repent and turn from his sinful ways. That's what the book of Jonah is about, a great God, not a great fish. Don't miss the big picture. I, I, I remember hearing one time when the Wright brothers um, flew for the very first time, they sent a telegraph back home and said, we flew X amount of feet. I don't remember what it was. Be home for the holidays. And the local newspaper said, Wright brothers, we'll be home for the holidays. You know, they missed the point. They, they flew. They, they were actually able to fly, but they, they focused on the wrong thing. Well, I want us tonight to look at the book of Jonah and use that as a backdrop for us about how to change a city. We live in Carnes. We live in Knoxville. And uh, there are a lot of things that go on shouldn't go on. We have our work cut out for us. There are things that we have to do and get busy doing. And if we don't do it, nobody else will. And so we have been called to a task. But how in the world are we going to change people, really? What, what difference are we going to make situated here? There's 300 and... 50 or so of us that gather together for encouragement and for worship on the first day of the week, and we scatter out into the community through the rest of the week. How are we going to make a difference in this community? Well, maybe some answers can be found in Jonah, because Jonah was one man, and he was sent to the city of Nineveh, and he turned that place around, and he changed that city. Now, they didn't stay changed about 100 years or so later. You can turn to the book of Nahum and read about the impending doom that was going to befall them because of their, their sinfulness. They had gone back to their old ways. But uh, for a period of time and for many souls, Jonah made a difference between heaven and hell, I suppose. So let's look at some lessons that we can learn from the book of Jonah on 
how to change a city. And here are, I'm going to give you five principles from the book of Jonah that uh, hopefully will help us. First of all, if we want to change this city, we've got to refuse to run from hard work. Jonah chapter 1, verses, well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Jonah because we're going to be looking there if you're not already there. But in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of however you say his name, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We have to understand what it would be like to be told to go preach to Nineveh. If you were in Israel, Nineveh is a wicked city. It's the capital city of a wicked nation. And as one of God's people, they have been a thorn in your side. And Jonah is being told to go preach to the enemy. Now, I don't know, maybe something similar might be something like this. I want somebody today to go to Afghanistan and try to hunt up some of those folks and tell them that what they're doing isn't right. I want you to go over there and start preaching the gospel of Jesus amongst these Muslims. I don't know a whole lot of people that would just raise their hand and sign up for that assignment. I, that, that's scary. I might lose my life. There's things involved in that. I, I may not. Are you sure? You sure this is what we want to do? I understand why Jonah ran. I, I really can. I, I can understand his unwillingness to go. And it may be because of fear on his part. I just, boy, what if I've, I may lose my life. But you know, it, it just may be he didn't want to. You know, some people, have, have you ever said something like this? You'll see something happen to a person and uh, we'll, we'll come off with this. Well, he got what he deserved. You know, we, we have that mindset, that attitude, like good enough for him. You know, that's what they were doing. That's what, it can, that's what happens. You got what you deserve. Maybe Jonah had in the back of his mind, these people are wicked and uh, they, they need to pun be punished. I, I don't want them to repent. But whatever the case, you're not going to get the job done. You'll never change a city if you run from hard work. Changing the hearts of men and women is hard work. And and uh, we can't flee from that. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and there's in verse 4, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not flesh and blood. You know, we don't take up guns to try to convert people to Christianity. But he said, here's, here's what we do. We try to pull down spiritual strongholds. Think of what that's saying. He doesn't say, it's real, you know what, it's really easy to preach here. Because you all believe just like I do. You share the same values, and, and so I can talk about uh, inequities in life, injustices in life, and I can talk about doctrinal issues, and you're right there with me. Yep, that's right, you got it right. It's easy to preach to you. But it's harder to preach when people don't believe the same. They don't accept your values. 
They don't see the same issues from the same perspective. And, and what you say is evil, they, they call good. Now that's harder. But I want you to notice what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, that God has called us to do battle, and not just do battle where everybody agrees, let's all just rally and have a big pep rally. Yahoo, you know, we, we, we stand together against this or that. He said, I want you to get busy tearing down spiritual strongholds. We have to work where Satan has dug in trenches. We have to, to work where it's hard to get a foot in the door. We, we have to do the hard things where we stand alone and everybody else is on the other side of the fence. That's what God has called us to do. Christianity is no place for a coward. God calls us to battle, do difficult things. It's hard to stand alone and cry out, but that's what God has called us to do. Jonah made the mistake of trying to run from hard duty. That gets taken care of, as you know the story. And he goes back and does it reluctantly. But when he did, change was brought about. So don't run from hard duty. Here's the second thing. Be confident with the sign that God provides. The gospel is enough. We really don't need anything else. It is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1 and verse 16. You know, it's, you, you see how things escalate because a, a certain group of people will do this and it'll be crazy far out stuff and it's entertaining, it gets people because they, they like the show and then, well, what's going to happen next week? because it needs to be worth my time. If I'm going to come out and do this, I, I, I liked what you did last week, now entertain me this week. And, and every week it gets more and more and more, and, and uh, it becomes a chore. If we can settle on this, we'll save ourselves a lot of trouble. We'll never outplay the world. We can't, the church can't play as good as the world does. They're always going to be better than, uh, th than we are at playing. And so let's just, let's just drop that because that's not how we're going to win people. We're going to win people by preaching the truth, the gospel. And we need to be confident with what God has given us. He's given us the word. Well, in Matthew chapter 12, on one occasion, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Hey, show us a sign. Prove to us you are who you said you were. Why not? He's already shown them a bunch of signs, and they were unwilling to accept it. And so Jesus said, listen, guys, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Now, what he meant by that is just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish, so Jesus would be three days and three nights in the grave, and he would arise. I don't know... What convinced the people to change when Jonah came to them? There's all kind of interesting theories. Uh, some have said that, you know, if Jonah was in the belly of a fish, some, some guys that have actually uh, been swallowed for a, a period of time and they were rescued and recovered, their skin was bleached because of the acids in, in the fish. I don't know, maybe Jonah looked different after the scenario. Maybe word went ahead of him. Maybe somebody was standing around when that fish spit him up on the side of the shore, and, and not only was it his testimony, but the testimony of others. Maybe those 
men who were in the boats. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how word got out, but that was enough for Jonah to change that city. God gave them a sign and said, this will work, and it did. And the sign that we have, the resurrection of Jesus, it's indisputable. The grave is empty. The tomb is empty. There's no logical explanation as to why it would be empty. The, the enemies of Jesus had him right where they wanted him. Didn't, they didn't want Jesus out. That's where they'd been trying to get him. The friends of Jesus were afraid, and there's no need to steal the body of Jesus. Why would they risk their life uh, if he wasn't who they thought he was? You know, there, there's, Jesus rose from the dead, and that sign is powerful and, and enough and sufficient. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 say, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe and that believing you might have life in his name. So be confident with what God... We don't have to entertain the world. We don't have to play. We've got the word of God, and it's sufficient. Sometimes I think we do, or I've seen churches do, uh, a backhanded insult to our young people. Because we've got to figure out, what, what are we going to do to keep our young people? What kind of gimmick, what kind of thing, what kind of new thing, what kind of exciting thing, what kind of, what, what are we going to do to get young people here? How about trust that their hearts are tender and that they'll respond to the gospel just like you did? It's an insult to say our young people are so spiritually immature, we've got to give them something more than the gospel. What, what's wrong with the convicting power of the gospel in a tender heart? I, I remember... A few years ago, you know, when The Passion of the Christ came out, um, and I, I know that movie has some uh, things in it and so forth that uh, aren't always uh, accurate, but we sat down with, with young people and watched that. They were touched. They were moved to tears by the message of Jesus and his sacrifice and love for us. Be confident with the sign that God gives. Also, preach the word of God. Look at what it says in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 2. When Jonah finally gets turned around and starts back, here's what God tells Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Key to success is to preach the Bible. Preach the message that, that God tells us. The power to transform lives to change sinners into saints. It's in the message. When I realize what my sins do and the price that had to be paid for my redemption, how can I not be indebted? How can I not feel the sense of indebtedness? You know, I think I told you this before, but I, a man in, in Kentucky backed out one morning going to work, backed out over his two-year-old son. He'd gotten out of the house, sat down right behind the car, and that father ran over and killed his son. How do you live? I, I really, I, I don't know how you would deal with that kind of guilt and the depth of your grief. That's a terrible thing to have to bear up under. 
But when we can realize and bring ourselves to realize that we, because of our sin, our negligence, our actions, we cause someone just as innocent as that two-year-old child to die the death of the, the cross, how can I not feel the same weight of responsibility? Preach the word. Romans 1.16, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11 says, if any man speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's what we need to teach. If we want to change a city, what's going to change them is the preaching that God bids us. And then consider number four, don't be afraid of a confrontational message. Turn again in your Bible to Jonah chapter 3 and look at what it says in verse 4. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 9, Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger that we may not perish? Um, that's not an easy message to preach. Nobody, I'd much rather preach about heaven than hell. I would much rather talk about the reunion, the joys of heaven, than the horrors of hell. But sometimes people need to be brought face to face with where they are and the destiny that they're facing, the choice that they've made in life. There is a place for rebuking. There is a place for uh, reproving. And, well, Paul tells us that, doesn't he? Second Timothy chapter 4. 4, verse 2, we need to encourage. Our preaching needs to be uplifting. Sometimes we need to just say, listen, we need to fix this. This is not right. We've got to make some changes. We've gotten away from what God's will is on this matter, and we need to get back. And it may be by our practices, it may be by our attitudes, but sometimes we, we simply just need to be corrected. Don't be afraid of a confrontational message. For Jonah, listen, man, I, I try to put myself in Jonah's shoes. I, I get put out with Jonah at the end of the book, and I think some prophet of God, I mean, you know, he, he doesn't even seem to care about the people. But when I think about what he was called to do, I, I can see myself being hesitant myself. You, you want me to go, I don't even have a preaching appointment here. They don't have a place set up for me. They haven't put out flyers. Nobody's coming. You just want me to kind of walk through town to these people who are enemies of God's children, and, and I'm supposed to tell them that you better repent or you're, you've had it in 40 days? That, that's what you want. People that I don't even know, people that don't necessarily even want to hear what I had to say, and I'm supposed to... You know, I, I think uh, um, when Greg was in Honduras, they, they had, uh, you know, some porch preaching take place. All these people were coming to the clinic to get medical help, and from what I understand, Greg stood there and preached. I guess some people would hear a little while and go on inside, and others would come into earshot, and, you know, that, it's kind of an uncomfortable thing, I would think. But do you do it, or do you not do it? I, the, Jonah didn't have a place where he was going. I guess he just kind of situated himself somewhere that people heard him or, or just kind of walked through town. And as he saw it, he was just preaching as he's walking. I don't know, but just from a 
a comfortable standpoint, that would make me uneasy. But beyond that, these people were his enemy, and the message that he was preaching was saying, you guys are wrong, and you need to change, and if you don't, you're going to get it. There are times when we need to talk like that. Jude, well, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 says, well, admonishes us to walk with wisdom toward those who are without and let our speech be with grace seasoned with salt. There are times when we need to just really think before how many people have been turned off because harsh words have been spoken to them, because truths have been expressed with a clenched fist. <clears throat> we need to walk in wisdom, have our speech with grace, seasoned with salt. But he also goes on to say in Jude 22 and 23, there's a time when we need to be patient with people and lovingly teach them in patience. And then there's a time where you just grab somebody basically out of the fire and give them a good jerk and get them, get them, get them away, get them saved from the situation they're in. Wisdom dictates how we handle people. There's a time for encouragement and patience and long-suffering, and sometimes there's a time when we just lay it out and say, listen, you need to do better. And this was one of those cases where it was confrontational. And then finally, we need to feel the urgency of the task. Jonah chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, the message is this. You go preach to them to repent because they only have 40 days. And if they don't repent in 40 days, they're, they're done for. You can't piddle around with 40 days. You better get busy. You know, if you only have 40, what if, what if you knew 40 days from now Jesus is coming again and we knew that, what are we going to do with our neighbors, our friends? Are you going to be a little more active? Are you going to be a little more aggressive in trying to teach them the gospel? Are you going to worry so much about what people might say or whether they're going to get mad at you or talk about you or ridicule you? Those things wouldn't matter if we just had 40 days. Jonah was preaching with urgency. 40 days, if you don't repent, it's over. Sometimes we need to approach our job with, with urgency. Every day, if you get the newspaper, you open it up to that obituary page, don't you? We, we always check the obituaries. Never did when I was a kid, but as I got older, I, I started looking at those things. Obituary, every day, people in this community die. Don't tell me it's not urgent. It's urgent. For those souls, life and death, eternity hang in the balance. We've got a job to do. We need to get to it with urgency. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34 says this, Not everyone has the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. Wow. What a rebuke. I'd hate to be sitting in Corinth when that letter was read. A member of the church, one of God's children, all gathered together to hear the reading of Paul's latest letter to us. And he says, you know what? Not everybody in Corinth has a knowledge of the truth, a knowledge of God. Shame on you. I speak this to your shame. What people do with Jesus is their business, but I want to give them the choice. 
And if we want to change a city, we've got to get the message to them. Put it in their hands, let them make the decision, but let's not make the decision as to whether they get to decide or not. Let's get the message to them. The responsibility of Nineveh was to repent, and they did. The responsibility of God is to pass judgment on men, and he did, and he will. Our responsibility, just like that of Jonah, is to attempt to change a city. Jonah started out a little reluctant, but he did what the Lord said, and those people repented, and for a generation, more than a generation, two generations, they lived with God's approval. Well, what about us? The obligation of the world around us, the obligation of Carnes, Knoxville, they need, to, they need to repent. If they don't repent, God will judge them. But how will they know to repent unless someone tells them? That's where we come into play. We can change a city. I, I really believe we can change the lives of people and make a difference in our communities and impress upon people you know, people reach crisis points in their life. There are things that drive them to God. And maybe it's all a part of God's providence and His work and the affairs of men. And when people bottom out and they say, man, I need help, I want them to know we're here. I want them to turn to us and say, oh, yeah, I, I remember. I re th those folks over here, they, they love God. They help people. They you can fill it in, fill in the blanks. I want to be that person, that church, that when people bottom out, they know where they can go for help. Let's live our lives, reach out to people in such a way that we can change their eternity. And, well, 300 folks going out, living among the world, we're going to impact, we're going to impact a lot of people in a lot of good ways throughout the week. Let's be about being the children of God. Learn from Jonah and reach out before it's too late. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you give your life to Christ? Turn from your sin, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and God will certainly keep his promise. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian already, but you haven't been faithful Deep down, you know, it's not good. If the Lord were to come right now, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want that to happen. You're banking on more time. Well, don't bank on time. Just get your life right. We'll pray with you. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. There's, well, we humble ourselves before God, but it's not humbling to do that, to admit to wrongdoing in front of brethren who have also done wrong in their life. We, we understand. We're not against you. We're for you. Revelation, very end of the book, says, the spirit and the bride say come. We want you to know that not only is God making an invitation to you tonight, so is this church. We want you to come too. If you need to, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing. There's a great day coming.